For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's Revolution Recap, a weekly review of the New England Revolution, Major League Soccer, and the U.S. National Team on WNRI AM 1380 and streaming live on the internet at WNRI.com. Brought to you by Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com. Covering the entire sport for the entire region for over 20 years. And now, Revolution Recap with your host, Sean Donahue. Welcome to Revolution Recap. I'm joined today in the studio by Dave Ackman. And uh, Rev's coming off of last night, a very disappointing 2 nothing loss to Chivas. Chivas without several key players with the national team uh, to injury and to suspension. So uh, that was a game the Revs wanted to win. Although the Revs themselves were certainly missing several key players. And Jeff Derunzewitz, starting defensive midfielder. Charlie Joseph, the other starting defensive midfielder. Uh, Taylor Twelman with the national team. And Kano Smith starting on the bench because of an ankle injury. Uh, certainly guys like Jeff Derunzewitz, Charlie Joseph, when they're both out, are very hard to replace. Uh, Michael Parkhurst and Gary Flood uh, did pretty good defensively at filling in. Uh, certainly didn't add as much to the offense as we've seen from Charlie Joseph and Laurentowitz in past games. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if that was a difference in the game, but uh, it, it was a poor performance by the Revs. A poor performance by Chivas in the first half as well. A, a very uh, lackadaisical, unexciting game for the first half and even into the second half for much of the game, except for those two uh, really quality goals from Chivas, especially the last goal, but both good finishes. Uh, so really disappointment for the Revs. Yeah, I think you can look at that game as one of those where both teams are missing key players, so you knew right away that it was going to be a, a more boring game than anything, but you hoped that the Revs would be able to you know, pick it up after the good game they had played against Toronto, missing a couple of the key players. But uh, you, you look at the thing and you have Parkhurst and Flood, and they're trying to link up well with the other midfielders and the strikers, but they just didn't really do it. And you can tell that they were both more of a center-back mold players trying to play in the midfield, and that makes it tough. I think Flood, though, is adapting well to the position. Uh, it's only a second start, I believe, for the Revs. He has made a couple substitute appearances on top of that. But he's showed a lot more than he did, in, certainly in his debut at the start of the season, and it's certainly promising for the Revs in that in that uh, sense of the word. Maybe maybe the one bright spot of the match. However, they are they could have been helped by a guy like Daniel Hernandez, who they recently released, or a guy like Joe Franchino, who is out injured now for the rest of the season. Uh, but I guess this game makes you wonder why exactly they did release Hernandez if they didn't have somebody lined up to fill in right away. That's uh, nothing that I can really, you know, speak to why they would release him. In, but it, you know, it kind of makes you feel that it's not so bad when no one else has been in a rush to sign him. So maybe there's something behind the scenes that we're not, you know, exactly privy to that went on. And, and it seems like with Flood, they maybe are more comfortable because he has been showing signs of improvement over the entire year. But the reports were that Hernandez had been playing well for the reserves, and uh, I, I understand that the Revs, uh, Hernandez was a big salary for a guy not playing, and that I believe they had to cut him before July 1st um, in order to clear his salary. But 
Uh, I guess they couldn't have predicted this to be happening, but maybe it would have made a more, couple more sense to keep around a few more weeks until they did have a replacement lined up. They are uh, actively looking for a replacement, according to Nickel, but um, Flood filled in nicely. Parkhurst, maybe it would have been better if he had added Hernandez play there. That's true. Um, I mean, you can't look forward and expect you know both your defensive midfielders to get injured and forcing your center backs into the midfield. So, I mean, while, you know, it's a gamble, a risk that they took and they sort of backfired, but hopefully, you know, this experience will prove well for both of the other fill-ins. And Matt Reese only made one save on the night, but he certainly can't be blamed for either of those two goals. Uh, excellent finish from Jesse Marsh in the first goal to the far post, off the post and in after a nice layoff from Ante Razov. I don't think any goalkeeper in the world would have saved that. Uh, and the final finish uh, by Gailindo, B.J. Heaps there on the side. Certainly didn't look like he was in that great of a position to shoot uh, on the side of the box, but managed to curve it into the far post. Uh, so two excellent finishes from Chivas and something the Reds are going to need to watch when they play them again next weekend. No, definitely. I think Marsh's shot was amazing and off the post. I mean, I don't think anyone had a chance to get to that one. And Galindo's shot, I mean, that just dipped and curved right around the keeper. There's not much he could have done for that either. They were both well taken and well set up also. I don't think anyone could have finished that shot any better than Galindo did. And certainly he's a player that the Revs struggled with uh, throughout the night. Maybe one of the, for most of the night, really, the lone attacker for Chivas. It seemed like they were almost playing one forward up top, and that was him. But he still managed to cause the defense a lot of trouble. No, definitely. He has a lot of pace. He's powerful, and he's got some shifty moves. I mean, you look, he's got seven goals, a very quiet seven goals. Everyone talks about Johnson and Twelman as the goal leaders, but he's moved right up the charts. And looking at the Revolution lineup, you got a guy, like we already mentioned, Parker stepping back in after being out with the national team for the Gold Cup. But Ralston also stepped in. He didn't seem to be his normal self. No, definitely. I mean, you saw that one play where he tripped over the ball leading to the corner kick. I mean, he, he seemed a little rusty, maybe even a little tired from all the traveling. I'm not sure what it was, but it looked like he was a little bit off, too. His first touch throughout the night seemed uh, not as what we expect from him. And hope, I, I, hopefully that's just a temporary thing, but uh, it's, it's interesting to see him come back from the national team um, not looking as well. You'd think usually you'd come back from the national team looking sharper. No, definitely. Usually that extra practice with some higher quality opponents usually brings your game up a little. Maybe like maybe he was a little tired. Maybe he got a little bit of a knock during the trip. I'm not sure. Hopefully that was just like a one-game aberration for him. And Wells Thompson, who had been starting the past couple games on the right side, ended up starting on the left due to Connell Smith's ankle injury. Uh, he looked pretty well throughout the match. There were a few times where maybe he could have crossed it that he opted to cr cut inside and maybe pass back to Dorman. I remember one play towards the end where he had a couple players streaking into the box and he opted to pass back to Dorman, who then proceeded to hit it well over the bar. Um, so he, he does have the advantage of, I guess, cutting inside. He talked about, we had him on the show uh, a couple weeks ago, he talked about how he liked playing on the left better and he liked to be able to cut inside, but uh, I, th I think it hurts him as far as his crossing ability. Yeah, definitely. You can tell that he likes using his right foot more, and it's hard when you're a right-footed crosser and you're on the left side. It really doesn't give you much of an angle, so his, his natural reaction is to cut inside, but sometimes that's not to the best advantage of the team when they have those guys rushing into the box waiting for the header. And Pat Noonan and Adam Christman have filled in admirably in uh, Twelman's absence. However, last night, a perfect cross from Pat Noonan uh, left Christman pretty much wide open on the back post. Well, there was a man on him, but the goal itself yep. had plenty of space to, to shoot into. Uh, right there at the back post, he ended up shooting it wide. That could have changed the game right there. It would have put the Revs in the lead 1-0 at that point because uh, Chivas didn't score their winning goal until the 60th minute. So it was unfortunate that he ended up missing that. Yeah, definitely. I think those are the kind of games that are plays that you see Noonan and Twelman make so famously, and that's really how they've gotten this far is you see Noonan make those great setups. And, I mean, in the future, I think you will see Chrisman make that. But, you know, he's a rookie. He's going to be a little nervous when he's that wide open. He might tip it wide like that. So, as you said, it would have changed the whole game and made him, you know, they, after the first goal for Chivas, they really started pressing the issue and 
going more into the attack, and that left them a little open for that last goal. So you never know what would have happened if they had gotten that first one. Late into the match, Claudio Suarez in the 81st minute uh, received. It was funny. The Revs had just been talking. The Revs announcers, Brad Feldman and Greg Loss, has been talking about what a classy player he was. Uh, got ejected for an elbow. Uh, on the replay, it actually didn't look as bad as it was in the first, um, the first showing of it. However, it was certainly a questionable red card. But the Revs could not take advantage of the man advantage and, and even ended up going down further a goal. So that was disappointing there to see that them not be able to take advantage of the uh, of the advantage that was given to them yeah it was a it was a tough red card call i mean as it was it, you know he got him in the ear but it looks more forearmish and wrist rather than the elbow it didn't look like he was intentionally trying to hit him in the head it was like one of those you know random errant arms and yes it's probably a yellow but i don't think it should have been a straight red but as you said they didn't capitalize they tried adding more pressure but it ended up just leaving the back side open for the for the chivas to get the finishing goal and you mentioned guys like Rawson looking a little tired. Uh, it was surprising a little bit, but kind of what we've been seeing recently, that Nickel, again, uh, chose only to make one sub, that which is Kano Smith coming off the ankle injury. Uh, there's guys like Marshall Leonard who haven't seen time in a while due to injuries, but he has been a player that was a big part of the Revolution lineup several years ago as a starter. Uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if, if he actually works his way back in uh, to seeing minutes, especially in a time like this where they're, they're really thin on the bench. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough for Marshall to break back in. you got guys like Byrne, you got Thompson playing that left wing and, and, and the new wingers, and you got guys like John, uh, Avery John filling in at defense at left back. So it's going to be tough for Marshall to break in. And, I mean, if you look at the rest of their bench, I mean, I'm not sure if you're going to bring in Loftus in a game like this or even Helton. So, you know, they didn't, he didn't exactly have too many options with all the injuries. So, I mean, that's one game where you can almost see him only using one sub. But the question then becomes, is, is Nickel not have the confidence in bringing a guy like Leonard into this game? And uh, maybe that makes it even more of a desperate situation that they do need to get people to replace. Uh, Joe Frantino is out with ankle injury for the season. And Daniel Hernandez, obviously they were missing several key players and uh, Twelm and Laurentiewicz and Joseph. But even so, you'd like them to be able to have players on their bench at all times. That could come off a guy like Brian Byrne. We saw him make his debut a little bit earlier this season. Uh, he hasn't played since. As we mentioned, Marshall Leonard has been playing well for the reserves and got coming back uh, from an injury. And I believe he's been training with the Revs since September, actually, of last year, so healthy. So uh, it's, it's kind of weird that he's not been able to work his way back to at least be a player that, in a situation like this where they're lacking so much depth, that they can bring off the bench. Yeah, no, that's true, and I don't know why he hasn't been. I've seen a couple of the reserves match since then, and he's looked, you know, maybe not at full, full speed as he was before his injury, but he seemed competent enough to bring in, especially when you're down this many men, and it probably would have been a good idea to bring in some fresh legs at the end, but that's not what he chose to do. And we should mention uh, they were missing other players as well, in addition to those key starters, a guy like Arsenoka, who made his debut earlier in the season, I believe in the first match of the year, who has been doing very well for the reserves. Certainly he would have been a nice guy for them to bring off the bench, a guy speedy like that. Uh, but unfortunately he was out, and their only forward option there, as far as uh, bringing on offense, would have been Chris Loftus, who uh, has seen lots of time with the reserves, but certainly hasn't been as productive as a guy like Oka. Yeah, he's a definitely a different type of player. He's more of a target man and using his size more. And I don't know if against that kind of a lineup if it would have made much of a difference because it, it was a very slow and methodical game last night. So I don't know. I think he probably would have wanted someone more like Anoka to open things up, get some speed and pace into it. But that just didn't happen. Kano Smith came on and did bring some pace, but uh, still the final pass was missing from him. Yeah, definitely, and it seems like it's one week he's got the great through balls and the great crosses, and then there's other weeks that he wasn't. Maybe that ankle injury has been something that's been bothering him longer than we knew. 
It'll be interesting to see the lineup that the Revs do play at next week. Hopefully, Jeff Rentons will be back from his uh, eye injury. Hopefully, Shari Joseph will be back. I think it's more likely that Shari Joseph will be back. I don't know the full extent of Laurentiis's injury. He was actually in practice on Wednesday uh, wearing sunglasses and kicking around a little bit. He certainly wasn't going full out. Uh, Joseph, on the other hand, was sitting out the entire practice. So uh, it will be interesting to see the recovery of those two players. Certainly, that could be a big difference the next time the Rose play Chivas next weekend. Yeah, definitely. If they're not back, I think you're going to see much the same. I don't think you're going to see great build-up like we're used to. I mean, it's really underrated how much Shalry really opens up that field with his first pass. So I think you really need him even more than Laurentowitz in that lineup. And also, missing Parker's from the back putting him up in the defensive midfield. Uh, his distribution from the back has been so good for the Revs. Uh, in the midfield, I guess part of it is that he's put under more pressure there because he's further up in the field and he can't get off the, the same amount of time he'd like to make these passes. But certainly I'd say his distribution in the back is missed. James Riley is filled in well defensively. Uh, but I, I think Parker's is a guy that's really kind of irreplaceable in that sense. Yeah, definitely. He's, he brings a lot more to the table as a center back than he does, you know, as a, you know, he's very unaccustomed to playing the center of the midfield, and it's a totally different style of passing out there. You've got more, more bodies in the middle than you do up top when they're, the forwards are defending you, so it really brings a whole new strategy for him, and it doesn't seem like he's that comfortable. Maybe after a couple more games, it would change, but... You know, he's only got two games in that position, so you know, can expect him to play as well he does in the center of defense. And we were mentioning injuries uh, earlier, such as the injury to Arsenoka. Another guy who was actually not injured, or at least not listed as injured, is Willie Sims. He's a guy that last year uh, really lit it up for the reserves, was their top scorer. Uh, guys like Paul Mariner, Steve Nichols said, uh, when asked who was going to be ready to step up from the reserves this year, that he would be the one stepping up. It doesn't look like he even made the trip. He wasn't on the bench. They only had six players on the bench out of a possible seven. Uh, especially when a guy like Chris Loftus who really hasn't done that much even for the reserves, is, is on the bench over him. You really have to question what has happened to, to this Willie Sims, who, looks, who looked like a player last year that was very promising for the team, another speedy guy like Oka, but a guy who was scoring more goals last year. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember last year Willie Sims was running all over the field, and he, he brings such pace and such, you know, such trickery to the forward position, but like, it just seems like he's regressed beyond behind Oka, behind Loftus, and I don't know why that happened, but... And especially, they were such high on him last year. And he's definitely another player that, in the situation, uh, you would hope he would have been a player that could have, could have by this year been a player that they would have been able to count on to come on as a sub. But last year, I believe, he was making the bench more than he is this year. So it's, it's unfortunate to see that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it seemed like he was ready to make the jump. I'm not sure what would make him go backwards, but it seems like they've lost all sort of confidence in him this year. And I, I did mention. Um, earlier about, I believe last week, about our contest that we have from Eurosport. Um, thanks to Eurosport, we have some very great prizes. We have two replica jerseys. We have two uh, very nice Skyline t-shirts. And we also have two very nice uh, Revolution Capitano Adidas soccer balls. And we are going to give away one of those soccer balls this week. And how we're going to do that is we're going to have a, a trivia question. And then you can reply to the trivia question at contest at revolutionrecap.com. We're going to do this by email. Uh, the, the entries are due by Wednesday at midnight. We will announce the winner uh, w from, from the people who get the answer correctly. Uh, we will randomly select a winner, and we'll, the winner will be announced at next week's show. Uh, so we will announce the trivia question now. This is one that uh, I had trouble remembering, certainly. Um, I actually had to look this one up. I, unfortunately, I, I'm ashamed to admit it, but uh, I, I guess I could have some excuse for being a, a little bit young back when the Revs were first around in 1996. And our, our trivia question this week is who scored the first regular season goal in Revolution history? And this guy actually scored the first two goals uh, for the Revolution regular season history and didn't score again. 
Um, so it'll be interesting to see how many people can come up with this answer, uh, at least without looking, but I'm sure a lot of people end up having to look up this one. Uh, but that is our trivia question for this week, and again, it's going to be a nice uh, soccer ball valued at $20 from Eurosport. It'll also come with a nice cinch bag from Eurosport as well. Uh, so that, that has to be picked up here at the station if you win that prize. Uh, but that is a trivia question. We'll repeat it again later in the show. We are going to take a break now, and then we're going to be back with uh, Boston Globe writer Frank DeLapa. for soccer in New England? It's all right here at Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com. New England's premier soccer magazine celebrating over 20 years of in-depth soccer coverage. Professional teams, college soccer, men's and women's amateur leagues, youth and high school teams. Soccer New England Magazine's got it covered. Looking for youth soccer camps? You'll find them here. Dedicated to bringing the excitement of soccer home to you with stories, scores, and insights in both print and on the web. Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com. Covering the entire sport for the entire region for over 20 years. This is the game. Soccer football. Call it what you want it. The world's language. If you live for the game and it runs in your veins, say ole, 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 ole. Pass me the ball, dame la pelota. I'm burning down the field, getting hotter than a toaster. I flip fake and juke like Ronaldinho. Me, I'm just a man, but look at you, you're just a niño. When we go, a 4-3-3 should be illegal. Cause we be making plays while you're hogging it like Schmigo. Your ego is just too big to catch the silo. Jogo Bonito, you hit the ground like Luis Figo. Oh no, oh no, watch me give and go. Now I'm weaving through the D like I'm the Ronaldo. Ha, if you could only see, I'm Tati with the shot of Thierry Henry. If you live for the game and it runs in your veins, say ole, ole, oh, ole. And now back to Revolution Recap with Sean Donahue on WNRI AM 1380. Welcome back to Revolution Recap. I'm Sean Donahue joined here today in the studio by Dave Ackman. And now over the phone we have uh, Boston Globe writer Frank DeLapa. Frank, can you hear me? Sure, Sean. I hear you good. Yep. Thanks for joining us today. Good. Good to be with you. Uh, last night, obviously, a disappointing loss for the Revolution. They were missing several key players, but so were Chivas. Uh, were you surprised at how that game played out, how the pace was so slow in the first half, and really kind of an unexciting game overall? Yeah, I guess uh, it wasn't really up to standards on either either team, I didn't think. Uh, I think Chivas plays the ball pretty well. Usually uh, they didn't do much with it either, so... I don't know. It's. Uh, I think uh, that that's a tough trip, and sometimes when you're down a few players, uh, it's uh, hard to get it together. And uh, that Revolution was far from uh, far from their best. And Chivas really only had 
two real good chances, and they finished them both. Well, I guess Galindo's chance wasn't even a real good chance, but he managed to put off a, an amazing finish. Uh, how do the Revs defend against a team like that, especially when they have to play them next week? You know, what changes do you think they have to make if they're going to get a win uh, next week against the same team? Yeah, I think they'll, they'll be a lot different. I think the Revolution should be you know, a totally different team with uh, Shelby Joseph and a couple guys in there like that. Uh, you know, that, that changes the whole dynamic. And, uh, you know, really, that, that's all it takes to, to change it. And then, uh, you know, Chivas has a game Wednesday, and then they've got to come all the way across the country. Uh, you know, they're, they're going to be a different team, too, although they could be a little little more reinforced. Uh, with Shavar Thomas, I think, could be back by then. But on the other hand, they, they could be missing Claudio Suarez, who probably, you know, could get a two-game suspension for the elbow that he threw on uh, Adam Christman last night. Is there also, I guess, maybe a possibility that they could get their players back should the U.S. be eliminated from the Copa America? And that certainly could be, be a big impact. They're missing six players, I mean, three players from that, and the Revs are missing one. But that certainly could change the game uh, if that were a possibility. Yeah, let's see. Uh, I guess that is a possibility, too. Those guys might be a little tired, but <laughs> she of us could definitely use them at that point. Uh, you know, those are good players that they have, uh, Bornstein and Guzman, the goalkeeper, and... Uh, Question. Yeah. So, so Shivas was was really like you said there. They were they were shorthanded last night, and yet they were able to adjust the circumstances pretty well. And you mentioned Joseph's injury. Do you have any uh, update on that? Have you heard anything about uh, whether he should be back next week? And the same with Lorentowitz, who uh, was out with the eye injury. Uh, do you think both of them should be back for the next weekend's game? Yeah. Right. Uh, no. No telling on uh, Lorentowitz. Uh, you know, they were pretty optimistic about him, but uh, you know, Shari Joseph. Uh, you know, uh, didn't train all week, so you know he, the one thing he just needs is some rest, and uh, probably will never get enough. But but he, he's he's looking better to come back next week, from what I'm told. And Gary Flood, the rookie, stepped up in his absence. It seemed like he played a, a lot better this week. Uh, were you impressed by how he played? And uh, do you think he'll be maybe a long-term replacement uh, should Joseph end up going over to Europe? Yeah, right. I think he, he's a good player. You know, I'm I'm a little bit surprised. You know, by some of the young guys that the Revolution have, they, they, they've been pretty good. And, uh, yeah, I don't think uh, I, he he had too many problems last night. He looked pretty composed in there. So he looked good. I, I'm not sure exactly, you know, where he's going to fit in. Just uh, But, you know, Jeff Laurentowitz is a pretty good guy to as a point of reference. At this point, at that point in his career, this is early in uh, Gary Flood's first season, you know, Laurentowitz wasn't playing at all. I think he got one minute that first year. And even the second year, you know, it didn't look like he was going to do much. But, you know... Um, He's, he's uh, you know, established himself as a very good player in this league. And so, you know, Gary Flood, same thing could happen to him, but even sooner maybe. And earlier in the show we were discussing about the, the lack of, of depth on the Revolution's bench with all these guys out. They do have some experience in a guy like Marshall Leonard. Are you at all surprised that he hasn't seen any minutes this season, especially with some of the injuries the Revs have faced and the call-ups they've faced? And, yeah. uh, especially like last night where they barely had anyone available on their bench, but here they had a, a guy with some fresh legs when it seemed like the team was getting tired? Yeah, I think also, you know, he's a very experienced guy. So uh, I think that uh, the deal with him is, you know, that I think he had an Achilles uh, tendon tear. And it was, you know, they just consider that one of the worst things you can have, you know. And so, you know, Marshall really didn't come back at full strength. Uh, it might be He might be close to that now. Uh, his experience last night, though, probably would have really helped. And uh, it might have been the time to get him back in there. But, you know, maybe I think they're just going really easy with him and, They'd like to get him back in there, maybe at home or something under favorable circumstances. But he was really not ready to go. They they say until very recently. 
And, and the other thing is the Revs released a guy like Daniel Hernandez, I believe, about two weeks ago now. And this is certainly a weekend where they could have used him having those two absences in the defensive midfield. Uh, do you think they'll have a replacement in uh, any time soon for him? Well, I, I think the thing was uh, they, they expected to have somebody in pretty quick here. You know, I think the contracts uh, deal was uh, the end of the month, so that's uh, yesterday. So any, anybody that's under contract then gets paid for the whole season. So that's why they let uh, Danny go. And, you know, with in mind that they had somebody coming in, one or two guys. That hasn't happened yet. Uh, I have no idea where that stands right now. But, uh, you know, they put themselves in a little bit of a painted into a corner there by doing this. So, um, you know, if they don't get the guys that they want, you know, they could be looking at a situation like this again uh, during the season. And I think we mentioned this earlier when we had you on the show a couple weeks ago about uh, Willie Sims. He seems to have really fallen out of favor with the coaching staff as far as uh, depth on the bench. Now a guy like Chris Loftus is going over, start making the bench over him. Uh, I don't know what the full story is with Willie Sims. He wasn't listed as injured. I don't know if he's absent from the team. Uh, but do you have any insight into maybe what has happened with Willie Sims, the guy who last year they talked about you know, ready to be making up the step to the first team this year? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you know, you'd think this would be his time. Uh, you know, the team was going back to L.A. where he's from, and uh, they traveled with one guy short. Uh, they, they only went with 17 instead of the 18, so there's certainly room on the plane for him, uh, as far as I could tell. Um, that's a good question, uh, Sean. I don't know what, what what's up with that. Uh, but, you know, uh, maybe, maybe there's something going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. Uh, it could be... Uh, part of a trade deal, who knows, but uh, I haven't heard anything. And the other guy who was missing was uh, Doug Warren out with concussion-like symptoms, I believe. Uh, he was out last weekend, too. Is is this a, a serious injury that he's had, and do you, do you have any insight on when he'll be back? Well, you've been a training, right? I don't think we've seen him out there. So, yeah, uh, yeah I don't know. That's a good question, because they, they, they might need him. They have an Open Cup game coming up here as well, you know, and, and some tough games, so... Um, you know, you'd almost have to have a third third goalkeeper, but uh, it's been a while since he's he hasn't been listed with the concussion symptoms, so maybe it is worse than we think. And with an injury like that, as we've seen from a guy like Aiden Brown or Leko Eskadarian, it certainly can be very serious, especially when a player's been out this long. Yeah, right. You know, it's not a good sign. I, I don't know what happened to him. I think it was a training. It happened in training. I didn't see it, so I don't know. But, uh, you know, they, they do update those guys. You know, they really do... Uh, monitor that especially the concussion stuff very closely so until he's ready to come back you know he'll he won't be there but i don't think they can make a move on it yet either because i don't think it's that serious but i could be wrong and you mentioned the revs games uh open cup game coming up uh do you think they'll be playing their their first team for that match we saw last year that they did decide to go with the first team against rochester um something that the previous years they had not uh or, or do you think that will be dictated by how far the U.S. advances in the Copa and maybe the injury status of Jeff Laurentowitz and Shari Joseph? Maybe they'll want to rest some of the guys that have been playing. Uh, what do you see from the Revs in this year's Open Cup? Are they going to go all out? Yeah, good point. I haven't talked to them about it, but you might see more of a team out there that you saw that, like last night, although they should be uh, a little bit better than they were last night. But uh, you got to go in there uh, full speed. I, I don't think they like to lose those games, you know, even though they they might not put everybody out there. But if there's any doubt, certainly they won't put guys out there. Um, but but the, you know, it's not a pleasant thing to go in there to Rochester or any of these places and lose. They played them three times, I think, in the last five years, four or five years. And Rochester's given them, you know, every game's gone into extra time. So uh, two to penalty kicks. 
I believe, yeah, two to penalty kicks. So, uh, and then the third one could have gone to penalty kicks. So, you know, you really have to go in there with as many good guys as you can, or you, you know, you're not going to look good. They, they don't like to come home, you know, embarrassed by those guys. And uh, Rochester's a pretty good team. Yeah, they've certainly had their success against MLS sides in the Open Cup. But talking about Rochester, they had a great new stadium from last year. It seems like they'd be a prime candidate for an MLS expansion team, especially now that the, team, the league is at 13 teams and certainly would like to have an even number. What do you think it is that has made them kind of fall out of the picture? Before they were a team that was always talked about you know, as a possible expansion team, especially uh, when they were getting their own stadium. But there doesn't seem to be much talk about Rochester now when they are bringing up the names of you know, possible expansion cities. Yeah, I think the first thing is, you know, market is just not that big a market, and they're looking at the bigger markets to get them. And that's why they have Houston, you know. Uh, that's why they're looking at Philadelphia. And, and you know, they'd, they'd rather wait and get a Philadelphia, you know, I think, than, than throw a Rochester right in there. It's just never been a big market. It's always been a good place for the game. You know, in the NASL days with the Rochester Lancers, it was very strong. And now, that, like you say, they have their own stadium. I think it's artificial turfs, and uh, I think they're trying to uh, cut back on, on those things. But uh, it's just not a big enough place, and that's, that's always going to hurt them. Once the league gets up to, you know, whatever it is, 16 or 18 teams, then, you know, the, the, you know, the next team, like the 17th out of the 18 teams, might, might well be a Rochester, you know, or the 18th team. But I don't think they want to go in there right away uh, until they get the bigger markets locked up. Do you think the team will be adding? Do you think the league will be adding another team next season? No, I don't think so. It sounds like it's a little bit too late for that. But uh, you know, I think they're looking to uh, 09 on that, and they've got several candidates. They keep saying they've got several candidates uh, from Seattle all the way to you know San Antonio to Philadelphia. So we'll see. And talking about the Revolution, we've seen recently them uh, get beaten because of some great plays from. Some international players that have been brought in recently, like a Galindo, uh, Barros Galoto. Uh, do you think the Reds will be bringing in a player? We mentioned you, you did mention that uh, they're obviously actively looking to replace Daniel Hernandez. Uh, but what do you think the Revolutions need is as far as uh, bringing in a guy? What position do you think they need to fill? And do you, do you think they will be able to get the guy they want? Yeah, right. That's a really good good question there because um, you know it's it's kind of been a dysfunctional. Uh, process for bringing in foreign players with them and uh, they haven't done it very well but they haven't really needed to the team's done pretty well without them although i think if they could get that one guy uh who could have been a jorkaev or it could be a bar Shaloto now i think that one extra guy like that could make the difference i mean this is a team that was right on the edge of winning the mls cup and you know they could be again this year i think they just need that one little extra shove and i think that's what they're looking for uh again you know they haven't able to pull the trigger on the right guy there and I don't know what they're looking for uh, you know uh, certainly uh, a Shaloto might have been a, a, the kind of guy they, they should be looking at but uh, I, I don't think he was so now you know I think they're looking at uh, defenders and uh, defensive midfielders and you know may, maybe another uh, attacking guy uh, they have room for him so they could well bring in two guys but uh, you know it's a long shot trying to figure out you know if anybody can guess who you know good luck to you well, you mentioned Scalotto is a guy that they could have used. I believe uh, a report came out after the Revs played um, Columbus that Scalotto actually said that the Revs had the first chance at getting him, and they turned him down. Now, is that something that surprises you? Certainly he's a guy that plays a, plays a role on the left wing, where a guy like Connor Smith certainly hasn't been the most consistent player on the Revs team. Is that surprising that they would turn down a guy of his experience? Well, I'm not totally surprised because I, I, I kind of heard that as, as we went along, but I couldn't confirm it. Uh, it, it does surprise me now that I've seen him 
and see what he, he's all about. And, you know, seeing him play for Boca Juniors was one thing, and uh, he was excellent there. But you know, you got to see what a guy's motivation is when he gets here. Playing for a team, you know, in a small market, had one win for the longest time, and to see him come in and, and really be motivated and, and really use his skills and his you know his tactical sense to figure out the game and help the team out. Um, you know, put it in parentheses though. I noticed he didn't play last night, and they won. But uh, you know, he he, is, he looks like just about the kind of guy they could have really used. So yeah, uh, I think we all should should kind of question that one. But you know, maybe maybe there's somebody else on the line. Well, especially when we've seen some of their luck in the past signing guys like Steve Howie, uh, who really haven't worked out, and then you see them turn down a guy who looks like to be a very good player in MLS. Yeah, right. Well, you know, uh, <laughs> Sean, it's, it's a hard one to explain. I mean, it, uh, with this coaching staff, with Steve Nichol, uh, you can't really fault their judgment of talent. Um, they've gotten it right like 99.9% of the time. So, you know, if they did get it wrong on our Shiloto, um you know, that's that's a rare one. But, but, you know, I'm not sure they looked at him close enough. You know, finding out that he's 34 years old and, uh, you know, this sort of thing. I think they're looking for younger guys and, you know, it just wasn't what they were looking for at the time, but they might not have looked at it uh, closely enough. Well, certainly I agree with you. The coaching staff has done a very good job bringing in players, and that's, you know, credit to them with the success they've had from, you know, players they brought in, in the draft especially. Uh, it just seems like their international, senior international players they brought in maybe haven't had as much success as some other coaches throughout the league. Yeah, I think you could say that. I mean, last year they brought in uh, Bundes, who's a very good player, but, you know, he's just a little bit past it here, and, and that didn't work out. And, uh, you know, before that, they brought in Casio from Brazil, who was a good player, and I think Nickel really liked him. But uh, I think he was injured. You know, and the same as Steve Howie. They, they thought he was good enough to play. I mean, he played for England, so he was okay. But these guys have got these, you know, when they come here injured, uh, it's really hard to get, get, get up to uh, par, you know, in the middle of the season with, with uh, these teams. Casio never got there, even though he had a little bit of the preseason, and Howie never came close. So, uh, yeah, the record is pretty bad with the international players. i gotta, I got to agree with you on that. And the other big thing going on now is the Copa America tournament. The U.S. opted to bring kind of a, a younger squad. Uh, the younger squad proved, uh, you know, held their own against Argentina for 60 minutes, a good 60 minutes, keeping the tie, and then kind of fell apart and uh, lost 4-1. to one. Uh, But do you agree with Bob Bradley's strategy of bringing a, a young team to Copa America rather than, you know, maybe bringing a better team and going out to, you know, advance further? Yeah, no, I, I, don't, I don't think it's it's wrong, you know, per se. It's just I think a couple of the, the moves he made might not have been the right guys. I think Marvell Wynn wasn't really ready to start against, you know, one of the maybe the top two best teams in the world. You know, and that that hurt, that really hurt you at that position to right back. Uh, you know, you can't be expected to, to play. It's not that he's, he's, he's just inexperienced. So if you're putting your inexperienced guys in there, you got to, uh, Eddie Gavin not really ready to go there, you know, uh, when you have an experienced guy like Ben Olsen. I think you can bring a few few of those guys, but you got to kind of spot them in. You can't have them all on the field at the same time, uh, you know, especially when this team didn't get any chance to work out together, really. They went, they went straight from uh, the U.S. down to Venezuela with really hardly any time at all together. So, you know, uh, in that case, you know, you almost have to bring a couple of guys like a Steve Ralston or somebody to, to steady you. And uh, maybe a couple young guys, and not not as many as they did. So I guess I really can't agree with it. it, it you know, it might work out uh, against Colombia, but it might be too late. Then Paraguay is going to be a heavy favorite in this uh, game tomorrow. 
And you mentioned Marvell Wynn in the, in the Gold Cup. The U.S. had several good you know, right backs that didn't see that much time. A guy like Frankie Simic, who showed uh, very well in the Gold Cup in the limited minutes he got, and Jonathan Spector, who also showed very well in the limited minutes he got. Uh, Frankie Hayduk, maybe it would have been better to save him for the Copa America, or maybe it would have been better to save one of the other two. We don't obviously don't know their club situations if they were wanted back or for preseason training. Uh, but it, it seems a little surprising that maybe maybe they didn't do enough planning ahead for this tournament. Where you know there you have two guys that saw limited minutes, and maybe it would have made more sense to to save a guy like one of them. Uh, I don't think it really would have cost them the Gold Cup because all three of those players would play at a very high level at right back. Yeah, right. I think you know what it comes down to. I, we really have to say here's. There's almost a symbolic thing going on. I, I, you know, we don't know what their situation was, but we do know what the situation of Rafael Marquez is of Mexico. He plays for Barcelona. They played the latest into the into into the summer of any any European league. Rafael Marquez is still playing for Mexico in the Copa America because he wanted to. Uh, Landon Donovan uh, did not play for is not playing for for the U.S. Uh, I'm not sure if it was because L.A. wanted it back, and I think they probably made a strong statement that they, they didn't want Landon Donovan playing in the Gold Cup and the Copa America. That's the one guy that the U.S. needs. Okay, if Landon goes, then, you know, a few other guys might go, too. You know, team the clubs will be uh, uh, convinced, hey, if Landon's going, we better send our guys, too. We're not going to fight this thing. You know, and, and that's, to me, that's that's a symbolic thing, and that's what Bob Bradley was fighting against. And, uh, you know, good luck to him. It's, it's pretty tough if you don't have have that guy. I mean, Landon, he's the guy that sets the, the tone in a lot of ways for the national team. And, uh, you know, we talked to him when, when they were in Boston for the Gold Cup. He was he was he seemed to be planning on going. Then uh, what happened, you know, where he's not going, I don't know. But, but he didn't go. And uh, now Mexico's doing very well in, in the Copa America, and the U.S. isn't. Uh, you know, it's a few little things like that. You know, your, your top guy, you know, the captain of the team or the symbolic player, you know, has to make that statement, and uh, you know that's that's where we stand right now. And a guy like Landon too. At first, he had said he didn't want to go, but then it seemed he backed off and said, you know, he would be willing to go. So you don't know the full situation of whether it's a situation of the club that wouldn't release him or Bradley not calling up. But really, you have to question the decision in the first place of committing to the Copa America. At first, it sounded like they had said no, and then they changed back because it seemed like Costa Rica was going to be going in the U.S.'s spot. Bruce Arena, it seemed like, always turned down the invitation. We don't know if it was him or uh, the president of U.S. soccer. But do you think they made the right decision in even going down there to Copa America so soon after the Gold Cup, you know, probably knowing that they wouldn't be ha having some of their best players? Yeah, right. Uh, you know, I think, it, to tell you the truth, it might have worked out if Landon and a couple other guys went. And uh, they took a bit of a chance on it, you know, not knowing that those guys would go. Uh, I think it, it's a little bit too much to ask these guys to play in a, a Gold Cup and then a Copa America right away. But you know, that's you know they're not going to get a chance to do it again until uh, 2011 or whatever it is because in '09 it's just not going to happen with the Confederations Cup and just too much stuff going on. The Gold Cup as well. So uh, they've been turning down the Copa America for you know so many years now uh, that I think they they felt compelled to go down there. The other thing about it is uh, I don't like to see a team go down there and, and lose. But, you know, on the other hand, you know, that's the only way these guys are going to get better. Uh, you know, those guys are going to come back, and they're going to actually be a little bit better for, for the experience. And, uh, you know, it's too bad that they have to suffer through it, and, you know, and, and the world has to see, you know, some bad performances by the U.S. But maybe uh, what you're saying is right. If you, 
you turn it down, then you don't go, you know, right, then you don't look bad. And uh, But if you do go, then, you know, maybe maybe at some point uh, there'll be some benefits. Uh, that's all we can. I think that was a decision that they made that, you know, we're going to get something out of this even if we lose every game. The other thing about it, too, though, is uh, as far as seedings for the World Cup, it certainly doesn't help the team to be losing these games in Copa America. Obviously, they have a tough battle to ever get one in the first place. Uh, with the situation there, but winning the Gold Cup, is, we've seen them go way up in the uh, FIFA rankings. Uh, if they should lose all three games in Copa America, it certainly will bring them right back down. Right, yeah, you know, but uh, I'm not sure the rankings mean that much, and, and even seedings really don't mean that much anymore because, uh, you know, I, I think it, 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 it helps place a team, you know, you know where you're going to be, uh, but I think they can, they can do that anyway politically. I think the U.S. wants to be you know, when it comes down to it, I think they want to be in Cape Town in South Africa. And, you know, they might be able to get that anyway, even if they're not a seeded team. You know, being a seed doesn't necessarily help you. And I, like you say, you know, they haven't got one anyway. So Mexico's always seems to be ahead of them on that. So, uh, you know, if you're not the top seed, you know, you might as well uh, just, uh, you know, be any be any seed. In the rankings, I think, probably, you know, painted a, a you know an unrealistic picture of this of the team's strength in the past well we're not gonna let you go here but before you do could you tell us a little about uh maybe what you have upcoming for the globe or uh soccer net yeah right okay well you know actually we're, we're covering the uh open cup so uh you know i think the globe realizes that that's actually you know a pretty pretty valid tournament and uh so we'll be writing about that and uh you know, I'd, I'd like to write a little more about you know the the suspension with uh, Suarez because I you know that's really a two game suspension and you know it's very rare that uh, you know you know that uh, you know the team like the Revolution didn't get any benefit of that you know <laughs> like Chivas gets penalized but uh, this is a chance for for uh, you know if he really shouldn't be playing against the Revolution the next time they play and there's a chance that he won't be uh, next Saturday if he gets a two game suspension but uh, you know I think those suspensions have to be. Um, you know, treated on a, on a level playing field, and I've seen uh, you know guys like Shelby Joseph for a lot less than that. Uh, unprovoked things, you know, get get uh, you know suspensions. So we'll see where that comes out, and uh, you know, I think it it'll tell us a lot about the league. Well, thanks a lot for joining us today. Okay, Sean, good to be with you. Again, that was uh, Frank DeLapa from the Boston Globe. Uh, we are going to take a quick break here, but before we do, I will once again. Uh, talk about the contest we have coming up again. It's for an Adidas uh, Revolution soccer ball. Very nice soccer ball. Uh, plays very well. Uh, it's brand new. It will come with a uh, cinch bag from Eurosport. Um, the, again, the question for that is uh, who scored the first goal for the Revolution in regular season history? That's who scored the first goal for the Revolution in regular season history. And you can email your answers to uh, contests at revolutionrecap.com. That's contests at revolutionrecap.com. Um, again, the winner, the the entries must be in by Wednesday at midnight. The winner will then be selected randomly from everyone who's gotten it correct, and the winner will be announced on next Sunday's show. Uh, we are now going to take a quick break here, and we'll be back to talk a little bit about the uh, U.S.'s performances in the Copa America. <laughs>
looking for soccer in New England? It's all right here at Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com. New England's premier soccer magazine celebrating over 20 years of in-depth soccer coverage. Professional teams, college soccer, men's and women's amateur leagues, youth and high school teams. Soccer New England Magazine's got it covered. Looking for youth soccer camps? You'll find them here. Dedicated to bringing the excitement of soccer home to you with stories, scores, and insights in both print and on the web. Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com. Covering the entire sport for the entire region for over 20 years. Float like a butterfly, hit the upper beat, plus I'm speedy on the wing like Jamarcus Beasley. I'm a free fall fighter, take you insider, the mind of a World Cup winning hoorah. I play FIFA 06, with scissor kicks, and I keep rocking until the button sticks. So when I'm not making, leave you with your back down, know that I'm like Roy Keane, putting a smack down. I don't know what you've been told. World Cup fever's about to take hold, so act like you know. When that whistle blow, Furious and Fitz G's got game like that's a O. If you live for the game and it runs in your veins, say ole, 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 ole. And now back to Revolution Recap with Sean Donahue on WNRI AM 1380. Welcome back to Revolution Recap again. Sean Donahue here, joined by Dave Ackman in the studio. And we're going to talk a little about the uh, U.S.'s Copa America performance. Uh, 4-1 loss to Argentina. A very youthful side from the U.S. Uh, Taylor Twelman from the Revolution was up top with Eddie Johnson. And then a midfield with Benny Felber, uh, Ricardo Clark, Ben Olsen, Justin Mapp. And defense with uh, Marvel Wynn, as mentioned earlier, Jonathan Bornstein, Jimmy Conrad, Jay Merritt, And then, of course, the ex very experienced Casey Keller in goal. Uh, the U.S. for a good 60 minutes held off. Argentina managed to keep it 1-1. Uh, they, they had the, the lead early in the ninth minute. It was unfortunate to see just two minutes later them give it back up on a set piece um, from Argentina. But uh, it was a good learning experience for some guys like Marvel when, however, it was unfortunate uh, that they could not at least come out with a draw from this. And it, it does question Arena's tactics. I mean, not Arena, Bob Bradley's tactics. Certainly bring in Eddie Gavin. Uh, for Ben Olsen seemed to change the game a lot. Eddie Gavin, uh, not very productive out there, at least defensively. Uh, certainly the U.S. overall was not very productive offensively. Ben Olsen uh, played a very good game. They, they didn't play with a right winger, it seemed like. However, Ben Olsen filled in uh, defensively, especially played very good with his effort. And it's, it's kind of disappointing that the U.S. couldn't have gotten a little bit more out of the game. No, definitely. I think Ben Olsen's experience and his tenacity really changed the game for him in the midfield. When Once he had to come out, it really opened up the, the midfield for Argentina. I think you say they didn't play with the right wing, but Ar uh, Argentina usually plays with that diamond in the middle, <coughs> which makes it a little less important to have the uh, right winger. And I think you see the uh, defenders, you know, they, they, they really pressured him, especially Bornstein really did well, ended up making Messi switch sides at halftime. So I think you really, you can take a lot of positives away from the game for the first 60 minutes while they had their midfield general in there. And then after you bring in a guy like Gavin and try to bring in a, minimal, a little more attack, it opens up everything for Argentina. And you mentioned uh, Messi switching sides. Marvel Wynn making his debut for the U.S. national team. Uh, he didn't look too bad in the first half. In the second half, though, uh, he really struggled to keep, keep hold of Messi, and I think that really kind of changed the game uh, as well. Yeah, definitely. I think you really saw the quality of Messi come out in the second half when he got against a guy like uh, Wynn. I think Bornstein's speed and a little bit more experience than Wynn uh, really changed up uh, all of Messi's tactics, so when he switched over, it really allowed Argentina to get going. 
And again, that brings us to the question that we mentioned with uh, Frank on the phone about the U.S. is planning for this tournament. Really, they only brought one true right back in Marvel when they brought Drew Moore, who has played some right back, but is really more of a center back. The Copa America, I mean the Gold Cup, they had three solid right backs. Why couldn't they have saved one of them for this tournament? Uh, I've certainly any of them would have been a better option than Marvel Wynn. Not to take away from Marvel Wynn, who's a great athlete, but I don't think he's quite ready for the international stage. Yeah, definitely. I think you saw a lot of that in this roster. I mean, you get only Map really that's really experienced on the left wing. They don't really have a true right winger either. I mean, I guess you could throw Nguyen out there, but it's really a very unbalanced. A lot of central guys, not too many wingers, not too many right backs. It's a it's a tough position because you're really forcing your hand into playing win and Map every game. You do have to. I uh, wonder what exactly was the situation with some of these players. Was it their clubs not releasing it? Was it Bob Bradley not even trying to call them up? Uh, really, what was the entire situation? But uh, regardless, it is a good learning experience for these young players. Certainly, Marvel Wynn's never going to face competition more than any harder than he faced last night. Now he knows what he needs to work up to to get ready. You know, should he be ready for you know an upcoming World Cup? No, definitely. And I think you'll probably even see some good. Uh Good advancements against even a team like Paraguay next week. I mean, he'll he'll have a better feel for the international speed and the stage, and and you can't really take that away from him, even if he had a bad game. However, him in particular is a player that I look at this roster. I see a guy like Bornstein, who's certainly got a very good shot at the 2010 World Cup. Uh, Jay Demerit, Jimmy Conrad, uh, both of them players that are a little bit more experienced and maybe a little bit older, um, could certainly have a very good chance at the 2010 World Cup. Uh, as well as a guy like Justin Mapp, Ricardo Clark, Benny Feliber. Um, and then there's the experienced guys like Ben Olsen. But a guy like Marvel Wynn, it seems like he has so many players ahead of him. Uh, it, it's tough to see him making the World Cup 2010 rosters when he when he has a guy like Steve Trundolo, Frankie Simic, Jonathan Spector. Uh, that that is a call up that really kind of makes me wonder. Obviously, they didn't have many options at right back, but particularly with the Gold Cup, with a guy like Simic who barely saw you know much time at all in the Gold Cup, uh, it makes you question their strategy. Yeah, I mean, I guess it could have come back down to the clubs at that point. I think I can't see a guy like Frankie Simic who's worked so hard to get it, get himself pretty much all into the EPL by himself, not wanting to play for his country. So I think it's it's going to come to the point where the teams must have said, you know, you, we'll give you one tournament, and they wanted to go gung ho to get the the Gold Cup victory, and they got it. So maybe that's all they could get out of this summer. Yeah, that, that's just the question of you know why the Gold Cup over the Copa America for players like that. Uh, but again. The U.S.'s next game are coming up against Paraguay. Paraguay with a 5 nothing victory over Colombia, their first match. Uh, their defense did look a little shaky. Certainly Argentina's did not, other than the penalty kick they gave up to the U.S. Um, this should be a chance for uh, the U.S. players maybe open up a little bit more, get a little bit more offensive. Certainly a, a Paraguay, as they showed against Colombia, an offense that you don't want to give too much space. Uh, but I, I believe the U.S. might match up better with a team like Paraguay. And it should be interesting to see how that game goes. That game is actually tomorrow at 6.30. So that, that should be a very interesting game to see exactly where the U.S. does stand uh, with this younger squad. Definitely. I think you see Paraguay playing a much more wide-open kind of attacking game. they got Roque Can uh, Santa Cruz out there who is dangerous from pretty much anywhere in the penalty box. So I think you let him get open and he'll bury him. But it, it should be a more balanced game for the U.S. this time. And it also comes the question of, of Bob Bradley, who is he going to end up playing in this game? If he's looking to uh, get the youth experience, which it seems like he's doing from this roster, uh, maybe it would make sense to drop a Casey Keller for a guy like Brad Guzan, especially if the U.S. doesn't have too much of a chance of advancing, uh, which certainly this Paraguay game might decide. So he certainly has a lot of balancing options that he's got to look at here. You know, Does he want to get the youth experience? Does he want to give his team the best chance of winning? Uh, several guys like Charlie Davies. Uh, as I mentioned, Brad Guzon, a guy like Heath Pierce who hasn't seen too much time, and Drew Moore, maybe it would make sense to give them 
meant it, or maybe it makes sense to go all out for the win. Yeah, I mean, I think if you go all out for the win this in this game and you don't get it, well, then you really can just throw anyone you want out there in the third match. So maybe it's better to go for the win. Maybe he just chooses to try to get as much experience out of it as he can. It will be interesting to see if the U.S. does manage to advance. Uh, certainly there's a lot of opportunity for him to do so with two of the third-place teams even advancing. And certainly second place is not out of the question should the U.S. win their last two games. But it's certainly not easy. Argentina, obviously, the toughest match first. Uh, but Paraguay is a great team. Colombia, though they didn't show it against Paraguay, uh, is a good team themselves. They did have some chances against Paraguay. As I mentioned, Paraguay's defense looked a little shaky. Uh, Colombia possibly could have done a little bit better with that game than they did. So no easy matches for the U.S. No, definitely, and especially in the South American tournaments, they're always tough. I think if you do get the three points against Paraguay, though, it really puts you in a good situation. I can't see Paraguay going out and getting more than maybe a point against Argentina. Certainly the match against Paraguay is the crucial one. A win would leave the U.S. with lots of confidence going to Colombia, who appear to be the weaker team. Uh, and a win there and a win against Colombia would certainly guarantee they advance to the next round. Yep, definitely. So, I mean, I think this is one situation where if you go for it all and you get three points, well, then, hey, you're, in, you're guaranteeing yourself pretty much two more matches. So if you're looking for an experience factor, there it is. And the other tournament going on that we have not mentioned yet is the uh, U.S. under-20 uh, team participating in the under-20 World Cup. Their first match against Korea, uh, kind of kind of a disappointing 1-1 draw. Uh, they di they didn't des really deserve the draw, according to their own coach. Uh, they played, um, kind of scored on their one chance. So it'll be interesting to see how the U.S. can turn that around. They got a team like Brazil at the end of it. Uh, they have Poland up next. Um, this is a U.S. under-20 team that uh, lots of people looked at as as really a, probably the strongest under-20 team the team that's had in a long time with guys like Altidore, Freddie Adu. Um, Michael Bradley, who's been experienced with the national team now in the Gold Cup. So it will certainly be interesting to see how the U.S. does against a team like Poland, who came away with an upset over Brazil, and uh, against Brazil, who were touted as one of the favorites going into this tournament. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, according and uh, even up to the run-up into it, they were playing really well. So, I mean, I don't know if it was just one bad game, but they got a tough test against Poland and Brazil. It's a tough group to be in. So uh, I think they got to come out. If you, if you can get a win against Poland, well, then you're in good shape because I can't see. I mean, I can't see Korea beating Brazil. Maybe they can beat Poland. So it'll be tough. And and then uh, that's another reason the U.S. didn't have uh, maybe some of the players they wanted for the Copa America. A guy like Freddie Adu would have been a very good experience for him to see where he's at. A guy like Altidore, who's been doing very well in MLS, might have been a good experience for as well. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how these players do. These players certainly could have a future on the U.S. national team. Yeah, definitely. They're all a bunch of good players, so hopefully they can pick it up and get a couple of results out of the next two games. We are going to wrap things up here. Again, the archives can be heard at uh, revolutionrecap.com. I'd like to thank Dave for joining me today in the studio. I'd like to thank Frank for joining us earlier today. Uh, once again, the trivia question that, uh, was which Revolution player scored the team's first regular season goal? Uh, and that answer can be emailed to contest at revolutionrecap.com. Again, the prize would have to be picked up here at the station. Uh, I'd like to thank Eurosport once again for providing us with these great prizes. Uh, if you go to revolutionrecap.com, you get to the link to these prizes uh, at Eurosport where you can buy them uh, should you not win. Um, I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today, and we will be back next week from 7 to 8 p.m.